Hi, and welcome to Bloody Good Reads. I'm your host, Mark Goddard. You'll know me from Snakebite Horrorcast and the Snakebite website as well. Welcome to episode, I think, eight now. I've really lost track of episodes because I've recorded so many in one big chunk. But yes, I'm believing it's episode eight. Uh, we're staying back in America uh, with this next episode. We've done a quite a few American authors in the last few episodes, but we'll stay over in America with an author who I am so happy I've got on this podcast. I'm a huge fan. He is the author of the amazing book Dweller, which you will see from the website is my second or the top three books on my picks. He's also written Facial, which I absolutely love, and Dead Clown Barbecue. Many, many good books. Uh, has a brand new book coming out as well, which we'll talk about later on. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jeff Strand. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to your fanboying. I, I am so sorry in advance. <laughs> oh, let it all out. Wait, I'll, I'll try not to be too bad. <laughs> but welcome to the podcast. As you know, on this podcast, we like to chat to new authors or old authors or just great names in, in the industry, which you personally are, in my opinion. We also get you to bring along your own books as well that you love, which we call on here, the Bloody Good Reads. And yeah, so I'll start, because I start every time. With uh, how did you get into horror? Well, as a kid, I didn't like it that much. I, you know, I was very squeamish, so I liked comedies and you know mystery and stuff like that. I was not a horror fan at all, except that I had this book called "Things You've Always Wanted to Know About Monsters But Were Afraid to Ask," which was basically a horror movie book aimed at kids. Which I love the book, but I had no access to any of the movies. I grew up in Alaska and we didn't really have you know, we, very few TV stations, no real access to any of the movies that were there. So it was like, I kind of like the idea of seeing all these old black and white films, but I never had because they just weren't available to me. And I definitely was mm. not interested in any modern gory type stuff. So it really, I didn't become a horror fan until high school. And that was basically peer pressure. That was I was hanging out with friends who were horror movie fans. And if I went over to their house, we, you know, brought out the VHS player and watched four or five of them in a row. So I kind of didn't enjoy them at first. And then it was sort of an acquired taste. And then soon I was watching them on my own at my house. And then suddenly I became an obsessive horror movie fan. And that quickly transitioned into an obsessive horror fiction fan. So those both hit pretty close to the same time and now it's my favorite genre cool so it's kind of horror movies was was your entry point and i would watch stuff like poltergeist as a kid and you know really enjoy it but for the most part you know poltergeist was pg what it wasn't that gory but the r-rated no. gory stuff i just was not interested in. now i'm all for it it can be an acquired taste on this stuff so like you said but so that's a good way of getting into it i mean i've always kind of said horror films is my entry point hence why we do the uh, the website and the uh, and the horror cast but the same about horror fiction which kind of just draws you in over the years i've kind of built uh <laughs> a quiet taste of my own uh, i know that uh, i've said in the podcast before that where i used to do it used to be stephen king and some of the more kind of teeny kind of vampire stuff it was jack ketchum's um girl next door which got me into kind of more adult horror which probably wasn't the great start but uh started the path yeah, start start the darkest way. Wait. <laughs> when did you get the kind of urge to start writing? Was it kind of with the novel kind of side of it, or was it something you did when you were younger? It was basically in my DNA. I always wanted to write. No, not horror, but you know, I wanted to write comedy, and I mm. pretty much you know, it started out. I'd write, just write stories, and then I would do comic strips, and then as I got older, I got more into. Um, movie screenplays and so that's mm -hmm. what i focused on mostly through high school you know writing terrible ones and then a little bit in college and then i started doing some fiction too and then pretty much i hadn't sold any scripts but once i sold my first novel i kind of focused entirely on that and then i just became a full-time novelist later because it does show in your writing you do go for, you have got a very comedic kind of writing style which i actually love facial i thought was hilarious just kind of just the concept of a face in a floor, which, yeah, as I, I love that book. I've one entry into full-on bizarro fiction. I've only done it once. That's the one time I said, I'm just going to make mm. the book as weird as I possibly can. Usually my stuff is weird, but a little more grounded. But that one, I just went nuts. Because you've transitioned into young adult as well, which 
a lot of horror authors couldn't do, but I've, I've reviewed Bad Bad Day for Voodoo years back, and he seems to have kind of so easily kind of transitioned in. Was it something? Is it more kind of a comic, like a comedic background has helped kind of kind of ease it into that? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, you know, I had no intention of writing young adult stuff, but the con it was a convoluted story. But the simple version is that my editor at Leisure was married to a um, editor who did young adult and mm. my books for leisure, they weren't comedies, but I would promote them in a funny way. And so I would just mm-hmm. get emails from her saying, Hey, I really liked your funny promotion for dweller. Even though the book itself isn't all that funny. I thought the promotion you did was entertaining. And so she said at one point, you know, if you ever write a young adult book, let me know. And I sent her one and she said, if you ever write a different young adult book, let me know. And I sent her <laughs> bad day for voodoo. And so she bought that. And then I ended up doing uh, five books for source books, all of which are comedies. They're not, you know, bad day for voodoo has gore and it's a horror premise, but it's a pure comedy. And all five of the young adult books are just, you know, joke, 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 joke comedies. They're not, there's no point in them where the horror is taken seriously. Unlike my adult work, they're just, as funny as I could possibly make them. So yeah, the comedic background is what helped me with the young adult stuff. So before we start and go into kind of where you started off in your writing, let's do that. I'll do something a little bit different in different different order this time, because normally I kind of talk for a little while and then we go into the first book. But I'm intrigued to see, because I don't know your picks. So I'm interested to find out what is your first bloody good read? Well, my first, I think the second and third one, you'll say, oh, sure, Absolutely. The first one is a little different from what you're expecting because it's not so much the book itself. It's more the product. It's My pick is Fear by R. Patrick Gates, a book that I honestly, if you said, all right, give me a book report on it, I wouldn't be able to remember it that well. I remember that I really enjoyed it, but it's not, you know, I couldn't even give you that good of a high level synopsis of it. But for me, there's a nostalgia element to it because, you know, it was written in, I think, 1988, but I had read his second book first. He did a book called Grim Memorials and, you know, my tastes have changed. But at the time I was young, I hadn't read a whole lot of horror. You know, I'd read Stephen King's stuff. I had read a lot of Dean Koontz. You know, I'd read the real popular ones, but I hadn't read a lot of the more obscure and so I read this mm-hmm. book called Grim Memorials, and it was at the time my favorite book ever. You know, it was insanely gory, over the top, mean spirited, really, really fast paced. You know, just event after event after event after event. And I, you know, I was used to Stephen King's pacing, where King is not in a hurry. He, you know, sets up the situation, and then by the end, everything has gone insane. But he's not. Every single chapter has horror in it, whereas Grim Memorials was just you know, nonstop. I was like, oh, man, this is the best book I've ever read. So I wanted to read his first book. We, you know, in the, the back cover had a picture of this amazing cover for fear, but it wasn't accessible. I had no way of getting it. It wasn't a new release anymore. I couldn't find it at my local bookstores. I would go to used bookstores and I couldn't find it. And it just became this holy grail quest of like, I have to get Fear by R. Patrick Gates. I have to read the other book written by my the author of my all-time favorite book. And then his you know third book came out. You know, So I got that new and I read it, but I still hadn't read Fear. And it just, mm-hmm. it was probably three or four years of just like, where is this book? I have to get it. But, you know, Amazon didn't exist. There wasn't a bookstore where I could order it. I need this book so bad. And then, you know, one day at a bookstore, a used bookstore, there it was. And the moment of glory was so intense that I can still remember it all these years later. And he's like, there it is. There is fear by our Patrick Gates. My mission is over. I have done it. And I, you know, bought it, took it home, absolutely loved it. And I had wanted this book so bad for so long that later, you know, probably a couple of years later at another used bookstore, I found another copy and I still had to buy it. It was like, you know what? I looked, I wanted to find that book so badly that I already own it. I've already read it. I don't need another copy, but you know, there it is. I can't let it go. So I, Bought a second copy of Fear just because I, you know, it was 
so hard to find. Now, I prefer the way it is now where pretty much any book you want, you can, you know, order through Amazon. You can have it in two days. It's very easy mm. to find stuff. It's probably on Kindle where you can be reading it within 30 seconds. But so the hunt was fun back in those days. You know, and here <laughs> is the one that best, you know, there were lots of books that I really wanted to get and took a long time to find. But R. Patrick Gates's Fear is the one that, you know, I wanted the most. That was the hardest to find where I had the greatest sense of victory. So that's why I put it as the first of my bloody good reads, even though I couldn't really summarize the book that well. I just remember that I liked it, but I, it, the memories of it have faded, just not the memory of acquiring it. Hi guys, it's Mark here from the Snakebite Horrorcast, snakebitehorror.com, and Bloody Good Reads. Really hope you enjoyed the episode today. I'd like to bring your attention to a brand new supporter of the podcast. Uh, they are Abominable Books. Uh, it's UK's best horror and thriller fiction book subscription service. They bring the world of horror and thrillers to your door every month for two brilliant prices. It's all the magic of haunted bookshops summer straight to your door each month. Basically gives you a brand new horror or thriller title, a luxury snack made here in the UK, a mystery second-hand book, possibly haunted book, and you also get a lot of featured magazines like Black Static, Ghastlies and Hellbore, bookmarks, drinks, some surprises or two. It's such a great subscription box and they are an amazing set guys. So head over to abominablebookclub.cratejoy.com there's even two different tiers of subscriptions you can go for in here. So head on over to either get a full guts or a bare bones edition of the box. Let us know what you think of the box and give those guys support. Get back to the show. Where did you start out with your writing? Was it more than was it more than Bella's side, or was it did you go straight into novels? Because I know a lot of authors I've spoken to recently, it's been kind of short stories and novellas that they started with. Yeah, I started out with mostly unfinished novels. So I would, you know, mm. I'm going to start a novel and then I'd write a couple chapters and like, I'm going to start another novel and write a couple chapters. I'm going to start another novel. So I always you know, was more into novels than short fiction. I would do short fiction for, you know, classroom assignments. And when I was a kid, you know, I would write my three pages and that was all the story I had to tell for that particular adventure. So, but no, I was always more of a long fiction guy and I pretty much still am. I I've written a lot of short stories, but I only write them on request. So if I get an invite to be in an anthology or a magazine or something, I pretty much always say yes and write the story then. But as far as sitting down and just writing something that's my own decision, it's almost always a novel. And that's where I started. And that's where I still am. So which was the first novel you released? Was it the Aeroid McBoogle or was it Mandibles? The first one that was published, which was not the first one that was written, was uh, Grave Robbers Wanted No Experience Necessary. Okay. And that was an ebook original at a time when, you know, this was way before Kindle. So this was when everyone hated ebooks and they hated the idea of ebooks. So mm. started as small as I possibly could because at the time, having an e, and this was um, the year 2000. So way back then, mm-hmm. Uh, ebook was worse than not being published that was basically you've given up on a serious career you just don't care anymore so i you know got a lot of criticism for that so that was you know i started as small as you possibly can but that was the first one it actually was not the first one i had written what happened was once i sold that one to an e-publisher i said well i'll check out these other e-publishers so the books i had you know three other completed novels that I'd never sold. So those sold really quickly and they came out mm-hmm. in a different order in which they were written. So it was kind of my first year as a published author. I had Grave Robbers One, No Experience Necessary, How to Rescue a Dead Princess, Elrod McBugle on the Loose, and uh, Out of Whack. And those all came out really quickly. And I looked like I was this insanely prolific writer, but it was actually just stuff I had, hadn't been able to sell. But because I got into eBooks. At a time when everyone hated ebooks, they all came out really quickly. When did you get into leisure? Because you you're a leisure author. That's obviously where I know you from, Warford Dweller. Right. Was that the first kind of kind of mass market kind of publisher you were in? Because I'm not sure. I can't really tell. Kind of, I'm trying to figure out kind of the, the order of releases, which I always find a bit hard sometimes. But I know you had Pressure, which is a very very good popular book. 
Right. Pressure had been a um, small press book through Earthling Publications. So they did this, you know, amazing hardcover edition, which they had a limited edition hardcover, but they also had a trade hardcover. So it did appear in bookstores. So it was mm-hmm. my first wide release in that you could actually go into a Barnes and Noble or whatever bookstore and there was a copy of the hardcover pressure. But it was still was a small release. It wasn't, you know, mm. a huge print run or anything, but it was there. And so I yeah. had met. Uh, I, remember, I remember pressure being one of the titles that I've done noticed because I used to work for Waterstones in the UK and we used to have a quite a good horror section. The guy loved horror. So, um, but I know pressure was one of the titles that I remember seeing that uh, sinister Mr. Corpse, um, dead clown barbecue, which is one of the ones that drew me to your titles in the first place, but I still haven't read, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's it's nice to kind of know to, to, to see it over in the UK. Not many bookshops would have it over here. Yeah, so I had um, talked to Don Dioria, and I, I think I had pitched him Sinister Mister Corpse, and he's like, "No, we don't do horror comedy at Leisure." It's like, "All right, that's fine." And so I had published Pressure, and UK resident Sarah Pinborough had read it, and she was like, "I mm-hmm. love that book. Why ha- why isn't there a Leisure edition?" It's like, "Well, I haven't really." pitch it to them and she's like well here i'm with leisure let me talk to don dioria so she talked to him and he said yeah have him send it so i said to my agent you know hey leisure's interested send pressure and so every couple of months sarah pinborough would follow up with me and say have you heard anything on uh pressure yet like nope it's like what's wrong with him and so i think it was about a year later she was like, you know what? I'm having uh, lunch with Don Dory. I'm going to ask him why it's taking him so long. And so she did. And he said, uh, I never got it. So I went back to my agent and she was like, oh, yeah, I, I guess I never sent it. Guess what? You're fired. So I <laughs> sent it to him myself. And then pretty quickly he made an offer on it. And so that was published. And then it was like, okay, what's up next? So pressure had already been published. So that was a reprint, but the next was going to be an original book. And so I was like, well, and he said, you know, it's got to be horror. You're not sending me one of your horror comedies. It's got to be horror. So I had this idea basically of a twist on the idea of the trope of, you know, bullied kid feeds bullies to a monster. I thought, okay, what if that took place their entire lives? What if it was, you know, 60 years? So little kids to old men relationship with a monster. That'd be cool. And leisure was kind of, uh, I don't know how that would work. Because um, they had a slot open where it was, you know, we can have this book out. I forget the actual month, but it was in 2010. We can have the book out, but there is no wiggle room on the deadline because generally the deadlines have some flexibility. You know, if your book is due September 15th and on September 15th, you're like, I'm sorry, it's not done yet. They're like, oh, that's all right. We actually don't need it for a couple more weeks. And this one was you will turn this book in on the deadline as a polished, easy to edit manuscript or, you know, we will hunt you down. It was like, this is not a joke. This is a real (laughs) deadline. There was no flexibility at all. So I had to deliver a publishable book on that day. But they he, he was not convinced that the concept worked. So he's like, what about five years? Mm. Like, oh, it's got to be lifetime. I'm not interested in five years. So he's like, all right, then I need a full chapter by chapter outline. So I did a really thorough, extensive, you know, here's what happens in chapter one. Here's everything that happens in chapter two. So it took it through the entire story. And then... He finally approved it. It's like, all right. So then I started to write Dweller. And there were a couple of bits where I wanted to change it. And so I emailed uh, James A. Moore, who had written for Leisure. And we were mm-hmm. pretty good friends at that by that point. He said, oh, they understand the creative process. You're not locked into the outline. Just, you know, don't turn it a romantic comedy. But, you know, you can mess with some stuff. So I changed some of the stuff and then I got uh, the back cover copy because, you know, they were, it was an accelerated process. So they were started on the mm. this book design before the book was actually done. 
So I think, hey, that sounds great. Oh, one little detail needs to be changed because I have changed that in the book. And he's like, what? What have you done? I, so he's like, I need you to send me what you've got because you can't be changing this when we're this close to the wire. So I was like, okay, I'm sorry. So I got chewed out for having for having changed some stuff from the outline. But yeah, I ended up writing Dweller, having no idea if people were going to like it or not. Because mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with the comedy. I can say, you know what? I think this book is funny. I think my readers will think this book is funny. We're in good shape. You know, pressure, I can judge suspense pretty well. I can say, you know what? It's exciting. It's intense. You know, it, people are going to like this one. Dweller is about a 60-year friendship between a guy and a basically Bigfoot-type creature. It's like, will anyone care? Will anyone like Owen the Creature? So it was kind of this nerve wracking thing of, you know, what if people say, you know, this is the worst book ever. Why do I care at all what happens to these characters? And so it came out. And by then, you know, I'd written a few books up to that point, but I was still really well known for Pressure. That was kind of the book I was known for. And Pressure is a dark, intense, suspenseful Mm. thriller. And Dweller is not. Dweller is a completely different kind of book. So the initial reaction was, oh, this isn't at all like pressure. This is kind of strange. And it has gone on to become you know, pretty much, I think if people took a survey, it would still probably take the number one slot as the book of mine that people liked the most. But it didn't catch on immediately. It took a little bit just because it was so different from you know my one other mass market release. Dweller <laughs> is one of the books that I will always, always recommend. Every single time, even for people who aren't particularly into horror. My wife hates horror, and she absolutely detests horror. But this is one book I said, look, you have to read this. Said, All right, what's it like? I said, no, it's, 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 it's good, it's good, it's good. It's, you know, boy and his monster, boy and his monster. And uh, she quite enjoyed it. Like, I I just absolutely love it. Absolutely, it, is, but it is, sorry, one of your best titles, <laughs> in my opinion. It is, it is your best book, and I absolutely bloody adore it. It is so... It's the raw emotion of it as well between him and the monster. It's ah, mm, perfect. Uh, that's my fanboy moment. Sorry, <laughs> that's my embarrassing fanboy moment. But uh, so it was an embarrassing fanboy moment for a reserved British person. Exactly. This is how we do it over here. <laughs> jolly good. It was just jolly good. <laughs> Let's segue in to your second bloody good read. So this one is um, Off Season by Jack Ketchum. And the only reason it's not The Girl Next Door by Jack Ketchum is because you had already picked that. Ah, okay. You could could have picked that as well. (laughs) We can talk about both. Yeah, Off Season also has, you know, a similar memory to Fear in that it Mm. was a book I'd read about in Deep Red magazine, actually. And it Mm. basically said this is the most intense, violent book ever. It's like, well, I guess I'll be reading that. And again, I couldn't find it anywhere. (laughs) And then when I did find it, I was taking the bus back from college home for a holiday. And the bus station was right next to a used bookstore. And I was like, there it is, off season. So I bought it. I was like, now I've got something to read on the bus trip home. But I didn't have a light with me. And so it was a late bus trip. So I was basically reading the book as fast as I could because I was losing light. I was like, I have to finish off season before... You know, it's too dark to read. So I just tore right through it as fast as I could. Absolutely loved it. One of the few books that I have reread multiple times, because I tend to only read stuff I haven't read. I'm not big on revisiting old stuff just because my to-be-read pile is so huge anyway. I don't have a lot of time Mm. to go back on old stuff. But I've reread off-season, and, you know, I think it, what it is, and a lot, it's, I think the same thing about The Girl Next Door is, you know, you may think of them as these horrifically violent, intense, you know, disturbing books, but they're really triumphs of characterization because mm-hmm. you can be as gory as you want. You can have, you know, decapitations and arms flying off and blood splattering everywhere. And people don't care that much unless they care about the people it's happening to. Mm-hmm. And so the intensity of the girl next or of off season and girl next door doesn't come from just how violent it is, even though it is extremely gruesome. Oh yeah, it comes because <laughs> you're 
he takes the time to get you invested in the characters. And so you're like, okay, I want these people to survive. And then when they die horrible, horrible deaths, it's not happening to a cardboard cutout character. It's happening to someone who you really hoped would make it out of the situation alive. He does character work so, so well. Because there's the debate on, you know, girl next door versus let's go play at the Adams. And let's go play at the Adams. It's, similar in that it's a torture book about being kidnapped but i didn't care about the babysitter and let's go play at the adams you know i didn't care that much if she got out or not what happens to her is horrible and gruesome and disturbing but i wasn't that invested in her fate whereas the girl next door you are absolutely passionately invested in Mm -hmm. wanting to see her get out of this and it's heartbreaking as it just gets worse and worse and you're like but, but she's such a good person. She deserves, she doesn't deserve what's mm-hmm. happening to her. And same thing with, you know, to a lesser extent with off season where it's characters you want, you don't want them to get eaten by cannibals, you know, cause you can do cannibal books that are 10 times gorier, but don't have the impact and off season as gory mm-hmm. as it is. It's just because when, you know, someone is being dismembered in it, you care about the person and you hope to that, they would have a different fate. And most of Jack Ketchum's work is, to me, the gold standard of a horror novel is one where if none of the horror happened, you would still be happy. Because yeah. you're, you're not thinking, oh, man, just get to the good stuff. You're thinking, boy, you know what? I hope this turns out okay. When you watch The Girl mm-hmm. Next Door, or when you read The Girl Next Door, I didn't like the movie that much, but reading The Girl Next Door. That movie was awful. <laughs> But reading The Girl Next Door, it's like, I would be just as happy if this was a nice teen romance and everything worked out well for these characters because I like mm-hmm. them so much. And then it just very clearly does not go in a lighthearted no. romance. But I would have been happy with that just because I wanted it to work out for them. Because especially with Girl Next Door, you, you're torn by if you hate the lad or not. He he obviously he takes part. He... It, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's more the girl actually who you're with her sister but yeah it's I, I will always say and i always i'm mad enough to admit this <laughs> it's the only book that's ever made me cry at the end yeah and fuck it is absolutely emotional and yeah. as a, a strong yeah. character you know she should survive and she keeps you know her good spirits as long as she possibly can so when he they break her it's just like oh my god but off season is the slasher film that i absolutely want (laughs) i loved off season off season's in my top 10 of all time actually most of jack jack ketchum and stuff uh, i absolutely adore Uh, right to life is another one which is a hard read but such a great great read similar to kind of girl next door just you know more of a baby in, in a pregnant lady and it's still a hard read but it's just his way he writes it's just amazing like girl next door it feels like a true crime novel in parts because it, it is it's, it's a true story it's based on a true story and, right. and you, you have that kind of it's like if you're read, reading a true crime novel on i don't know rose west or grittier kind of uh, serial killer kind of stuff it's the same kind of you you feel like this is this is real and this is not comfortable but it is the one book i'll always say is it's the book that got me into horror it is the book that changed how i read horror and i always loved that book yep, and our season is one of those books which is just amazing it's it, it's hills have eyes and cannibals and <laughs> slasher and you love the characters and the, the violence is just just perfect for me as a horror fan and offspring was brilliant i loved offspring as well oh offspring yeah offspring was actually yeah. frustrating for me because i was so invested in the characters in off season and there's some ambiguity at the end so that well here's the sequel mm-hmm. it's going to resolve it and it doesn't it just it leaves the same ambiguity and just follows the sheriff character instead so i know you're supposed to tell me what happened at the end of off season but i never read woman um i saw the movie because I saw the sort of UK premiere of that one, but never managed to read it. It's one one on my list, but I don't know. I think after Offspring, I thought that was quite a good 
way to end it. I didn't really need kind of deferred one, but it definitely one I'll check out after. But, and yeah. Stranglehold is also Stranglehold has a different title in the UK. I think it's Only Child. I may have that wrong, but Stranglehold it's basically a courtroom drama, but it's a Jack Ketchum mm. courtroom drama. So when you get to the end of that, that's mm. a kick in the stomach, as bad as anything in his other books. Jack Ketchum, one of my favorite authors of all time. Yep. I love that you picked that. It's amazing. I'm really happy you picked that. <laughs> so here's an irony. Because Jack Ketchum really liked my work, but mm. he liked the comedy stuff. He was okay. actually like, why isn't Leisure publishing your horror comedy stuff? Why are they only publishing Pressure and Dweller? Because weird, because you think Jack Ketchum would be like, oh, make it as dark and grim as possible. And he, he mm. wanted my comedy stuff to get a wider audience. He liked that a lot more than he liked Pressure or Dweller. It's surprising what other authors are into. John Everson, I had him on um, the, re- the episode I've just released a couple of episodes ago. And he's saying that what he likes to read is not what he likes to write. It's it's, 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 a, it's strange. It's, especially people who write darker stuff as well, which is... Uh, yeah. You need something to lighten your day up, I suppose. You also released a series of, of, uh, of novels called Wolf Hunt. So where did the idea of Wolf Hunt come from? Wolf Hunt was meant to be my third leisure book. And mm-hmm. so it, you know, the story behind the idea is not real exciting because it was a basically just a brainstorming session of, okay, I've done Dweller, done Pressure. What, you know, what other subgenre of horror can I tackle? Well, werewolves. Okay, I like werewolves. What mm-hmm. could I do with a werewolf book that hasn't been done before? So I kind of just sort of built the story around, okay, maybe, you know, werewolves and a crime thriller and then from there it was you know what how can i change the werewolf mythos so ivan the werewolf in wolf hunt can basically change at will so he doesn't have to wait for a full moon he he's in complete control he can just change anytime he wants and he can change individual body parts so if he wants only his arm to be a werewolf arm he can do that if he wants only his head to be a werewolf head he can do that so he's in full control, and I wanted him to be a character who was as scary, not as a werewolf, as he was as a werewolf. So, you know, as a human, he's just basically a psychopathic serial killer. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Leisure, as always, was, you know, don't do com- do not do a horror comedy, but Wolf Hunt, I figured the premise was serious enough. There was enough gore and violence in it that it could also have lots of laughs in it. So there's lots of jokes just because of the relationship between George and Lou who are sort of the thugs who are tasked with taking Ivan who they're told is a werewolf he's in human form they're basically told you're traveling across the state of Florida to deliver him to this guy who wants a werewolf but don't let him out of the cage under any circumstances and of course he gets out of the cage and it becomes the wolf hunt where they have to chase him through a carnage filled you know adventure but that was so really it was just like I want to do a werewolf book. How can I mess with it enough that I'm not doing the same werewolf book as anybody else? And it was meant mm-hmm. to be my third leisure book, and it was, you know, they had done the cover, we had done the editing, it was all set to come out, and then they closed their horror line and eventually the whole publisher went under. Yeah. And so I was basically stuck with this werewolf book and I thought, well, you know what? I've been promoting it. It was supposed to come out in three months. I might as well just self-publish it to get it out instead of waiting three years to try to sell it someplace else. So it ended up being my first uh, self-published title, and that ended up working out really well. Yeah, a lot of um, kind of when leisure went went under, I found you, you find half the authors disappeared, and um, but half of them do self-publish. I think. John Everson self-published a few as well after he kind of left Leisure and kind of jumped onto another publisher quite a little bit afterwards. Because I'm, I'm assuming you a lot of you know know each other through kind of the right circles. Is it quite saying that like, as, a, as a whole, the horror kind of community from the Leisure kind of era kind of went to more self-publishing? So it's a different era once you kind of left that. Self-publishing seemed to be a bit more less hated and less kind of tacky than uh, yeah. it used to be. It's a mix you know, some of them, a lot of leisure authors went on to Sam Hain and then from there, the flame tree. So they kind of just followed Don Doria. You know, I was, I had written a book with uh, Joe Conrath, who he was one of the big self-publishing guys who didn't need it. 
because self-publishing mm. started when it because you know when I was first with ebooks, it was like this is not self-published because self-publishing was the worst thing you could do. So I would always have to insist, you know, I'm with a pub. It's an ebook, but I'm with a publisher. I remember Joe Conrath, who he was getting six-figure advances from Hyperion, so he had you know big major releases. But he kind of got interested in it, you know, because he loved the total control you have and so he was like let's self-publish the book we wrote together I'm like no i can't have that stain on my career you can get away with it because you're definitely legitimate but i'm a much smaller unknown author so i can't have the self-published stain on my career and then with wolf hunt it was like well you know what i've got two mass market books out there i've been promoting this book as a third mass market book so you know it already passed through the gatekeeper it's not something that's unedited that i you know it's not a piece of garbage it, it's a book that was meant to be in bookstores everywhere so you know why not try it and so for me it worked out really well because i got to bring a pretty good portion of my leisure wide audience to the self-published stuff where the royalties are significantly higher so suddenly i was like whoa i this is a really good career move because I'm bringing that audience to the part where I make a lot more money. And eventually, you know, many years later, it led to me being able to be a full-time writer where it's my only source of income instead of also having a day job. Yep. Yeah. I'm all in on self-publishing now, but not everyone from leisure is some, some, I think some people quit writing some still, you know, not interested in self-publishing. So it's, it's kind of a mix. I don't think that everyone wants to self-publish. I think it's, I don't know what the percentage breakdown is, but I think they kind of split up and did different things. So would you always aiming to do a trilogy with Wolf Hunt? Cause you're not, you wasn't really thinking of doing a fourth one. I was saying on your, on your blog that you weren't, that number three was supposed to be the last one. No, it was never intended as a trilogy. Uh, Leisure didn't really do series. So you couldn't say, Hey, this is the Wolf Hunt series. They would do sequels sometimes. I think, you know, they did Brian Keene's City of the Dead. I think they did a uh, Brian Smith's sequel, but they didn't do series, quote unquote. So I couldn't say this is the mm. continuing adventures of George and Lou. So it was just Wolf Hunt, the book. Mm. And Wolf Hunt doesn't set up a sequel, except that, you know, George and Lou are still available for more adventures. Mm. So Wolf Hunt had sold really well as a self-published book and, but I wasn't that interested in jumping back into it. So it took, mm-hmm. I think, about five years. And so then finally, you know, it's time for Wolf Hunt 2. And so Wolf Hunt 2 was written with the expectation that there would be a Wolf Hunt 3. You know, it tells a complete story, but then it's not a cliffhanger ending, but it's not an ending meant to, you know, it's an ending meant to show that there will be a Wolf Hunt 3. So I did that. And then just kind of, once again, took a long time to get around to Wolf Hunt 3. You know, it wasn't intended to be a trilogy, but I just thought, you know, I'm going to write Wolf Hunt 3 that if it is the last one, it's a, you know, because Wolf Hunt 2 always was meant to have a Wolf Hunt 3. And so I felt kind of bad that it took so long because it's like, well, I didn't leave the characters where I wanted to leave them. So I decided that with Wolf Hunt 3, I would leave the characters in a good spot where if there never is a Wolf Hunt 4, I'm, everything is cool. So at this point, there's no plans to do a Wolf Hunt 4. But, um, you know, I could. I didn't completely close the door on it. So it was never like, this is the Wolf Hunt trilogy. It just sort of worked out that way. That did one yeah, without intending to do a sequel, decided to do a sequel. The sequel was intended to do a third one. And then the third one was it meant that I can happily not do a fourth one and people will still think that, you know, I didn't leave anyone hanging. It's a satisfying end to the series, if that is the last one. So was it after, kind of, during kind of the, the gap between Wolf Hunt and Wolf Hunt 2, was that when you did more young adult stuff? Uh, the young adult stuff actually was, yeah, I guess it was actually in between. That That is mm-hmm. exactly correct. Yeah, because the young adult, the first one came out in 2012, and then I, I think it was like I had one in 2012, one in 2014, one in 2016, and then 2017, 2018. So I did five of them in about, I think, um, six years or something. So, 
Yeah, so I was doing that, but I was also doing standalone novels because I'm generally always more interested in a standalone than uh, another installment in a series. That's why my Andrew Mayhem series took 20 years to have five of them. Mm -hmm. I was doing lots of, you know, standalone books in that time period, along with the young adult stuff. So it was always like, I need to do another wolf hunt, but I'm much more interested in the other these characters. <laughs> so let's go into your third bloody good read, your final bloody good read for, for this episode. What are you okay. this, this will not be controversial at all. This is almost just an obvious choice. And it is mm-hmm. Boy's Life by Robert McCammon. And, okay. you know, it's a lot of people consider that their favorite book of all time, including me. And it's a book that covers basically every possible emotion that you can work into a book is in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people like, you know, love coming of age books, which is sort of why I said, well, I need to do my own. And that's my latest book is Autumn Bleeds Into Winter. And that was not. You know, it was, it's not that much like Boy's Life, except that it is, you know, the adult looking back on, you know, the great times in his life. In my case, uh, 1979, in case of Boy's Life, the 60s. But, you know, it's a book that covers everything. It's funny. It's, it makes you cry. It's suspenseful. It's, you know, it's strong fantasy elements. It's got everything you can fit into one book just in this masterpiece i think you know because robert mccammon i discovered him after i had discovered stephen king and dean coots because it's basically when i first got into horror i started with stephen king like so many other people I was like wow he's the best author ever and then i discovered dean coots like wow he's the best author ever and then mccammon's like wow he's the best author ever and then i didn't actually top mccammon i you know i think that boy's life swan song Stinger, you know, McCammon at his best is about as good as it gets. And I think that mm-hmm. Boy's Life, which is not really a horror novel, although it has horror elements in it, I think, yeah. you know, lots of horror fans will say that's their all-time favorite book. I think it's just, it, it's amazing how much stuff he packed into one book. I do need to catch more of his stuff. It's, it's an author I've, I've seen around, but never really kind of jumped into, so... I think I'll give this one a go because I know Swan Song was quite a quite a chunky book. Yeah. <laughs> Swan time, Song is basically to... like the stand, but I think it's better. I think it's, but yeah, it's I think it's nine hundred pages or something. So yeah, it's not a quick read. And Boy's Life is pretty long too. I think Boy's Life is five hundred something pages, so it's mm. it's packed. So what is your what what have you been doing more recently? Because you've had Clowns vs Spiders that's come out recently, Blister, which is on my to read list. Um, and you got your brand new book. Tell us a bit about, more about your new book. At the time that we're recording this, it's a week old. It'll be older than mm. that when people actually listen to this. So tell us a bit about the book. It's called Autumn Bleeds Into Winter, and it's a mm-hmm. coming-of-age story about a 14-year-old boy in Fairbanks, Alaska in 1979. And his best friend has been abducted, and he saw it happen. So he saw it happen. He saw the guy. He knows who did it. But he can't prove it. And when he tells the police what happened, they investigate the guy. They search his house, but they can't find anything to tie him to the crime. And so they aren't able to arrest him. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the book, our 14-year-old hero, Curtis, has decided he's going to confront him personally. So he hides a gun in his backpack and goes over there. And pretty much the inspiration was, you know, the idea of, you know, the neighbor is a killer is that's something that's been done. But the expectation would be that that would be the end of the book. You know, the confrontation is the last three chapters. So I thought, okay, what if I started with that? What if that's the launching point of the story? So the book opens with him trying to buy an untraceable gun. And then he goes over there to confront the neighbor with what he's done. And that's where the book starts instead of where it ends. And so, you know, it's, you know, I love the coming of age books, you know, the ghoul by um, Brian Keene, Midnight Rain, James Newman, you know, something wicked this way comes Ray Bradbury, boys life, Robert McCammon. 
So I want to do something like that. Mine is more um, streamlined, so it's more thriller pacing. It doesn't have as many of the detours, but it's got some. You know, it's got a lot of stuff about what it was like growing up in Burbanks, Alaska. But it tends mm-hmm. to be more focused on the thriller element. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just like, you know, a lot of my books start with what subgenre haven't I tackled in horror? And it's like, well, yeah. I haven't done a true coming of age. Dweller has strong elements of that, but then they grow out of it. So the first mm-hmm. few chapters of Dweller are a coming of age story. And then, you know, he's an adult for the rest of the book. And the first section of pressure is a coming of age story. But then it again moves into him being older. Whereas this one, the character's 14 through the entire book. So it's, you know, it's not young adult, it's coming of age, but it's, you know, yeah. that this time the coming of age is the entire book instead of just the beginning of the book. And so it was basically, yeah, that's the subgenre I want to tackle. Now, how can I mess with it enough that it's not like the coming of age horror stories that other people have written? It's something new onto the genre, really. Because I tend, you know, I don't have books where I say, that's so amazingly original that no one has ever done that story before. It's always start off with a premise you know, werewolf, let's do a werewolf book. Let's do a giant creature book. Let's mm. do, you know, a zombie book. And then how can I twist it around so that it's uniquely something that I've written? So that's usually the starting point. And this one was the coming of age. And um, one thing I did want to talk to you about, because obviously I, I love your humorous side. On Twitter, you've got this uh, thing of posting bad reviews. Yes. <laughs> what kind of is it? More of kind of like a how, why? <laughs> basically, part of it is just shameless marketing. If I post that someone said Jeff Strand's latest book is a masterpiece, people don't mm-hmm. care that much. They you don't get that much mm-hmm. interaction. It's like yeah, he's just bragging about his new book. If I post. Jeff Strand's latest book is a piece of reprehensible garbage. He should be locked away. I get a lot more interaction. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm. It, there's a very careful balancing act with it. I never post mm-hmm. it in an angry way. It's never. Can you believe what this guy said? It's always you know, done in a Curious. tone of it's supposed to be funny. You know, you're supposed to yeah. laugh. But you're not. I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm not asking yeah. you to get mad on my behalf look, this is, it's funny what this guy said. Mm-hmm. And I, know, so I think review, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So the review quotes are chosen for that. You know, I'm, if someone makes a good negative point about my book, I'm not sharing that. You know, sometimes mm. you'll read books and they'll, you know, say something, Ooh, you know what? I, they found me out. They've seen right through me. I'm not going to go onto Twitter and say, Hey, look at this legitimate criticism of my latest book. You know, you, I share it when it's generally when someone is angry, you know, when it's mm-hmm. what they say is kind of ridiculous or it's just funny how much they hate something. So it's never it's angry that. for no apparent reason. Yeah. So it's, yeah. you know, it's fun. It's, it gets more interaction than posting good stuff. I post the good stuff too, but it's just not as oh, yeah. popular. And it's, you know, I think it, some authors have said it's kind of inspiring that I can do that where it's, you know, I show that bad reviews don't have to you know, wound you to your soul because a lot of because, people take it quite personally yeah I, i've seen and it's i've seen you know the embarrassing spectacle of authors who are hurt by it and it's like you know well i don't see you writing any books and i spent i put all this hard work into it and you're just gonna trash it well screw you and it's like you know people have a right to their opinions and sometimes it's funny to just share the bad ones and you know if people get upset about reviews you know when i talk to new writers i'll say you know what is your all-time favorite book what book you know means the most to you go on to amazon look it up and someone will have given it one star saying it's the worst book they've ever read so it's just it's the way it works so yeah, it's just it's funny. It's in you know, it's on brand for me to share. You know, because I've got a self-deprecating sense of humor. I'm not on there saying oh, I am the greatest writer ever. It's you know, I make fun of myself a lot. So it's fun to share bad reviews within the very 
careful context of I'm not actually mad about this. I'm sharing it because it's funny. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to bring it up because I do love your tweets. So what are you working on at the moment? Is there anything you've got kind of in the pipeline coming out anytime soon or next year? Or... I don't know when it'll be out. Right now I'm working on a very, very dark thriller called Deathless. So that will be as intense as I can possibly make it. So that's the one that is in progress at the moment. So yeah, every week I kind of say, where can people find you? Some people don't like well, to. Some find me on most Twitter people do. If they want to read my negative reviews. I'm on Twitter, <laughs> Jeff Strand, but my website is www.jeffstrand.com. And that's got links to Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I've got a newsletter that has a original short story every time. So you don't have to just get news on my latest releases. It's got a brand new short story, every single free issue. And it's also got lots of stupid, goofy stuff. So I tend to focus more on the comedic side of my personality for the newsletter. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Again, fanboy in a British way. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. And as always, you can find me can over definitely come on... up with another three books because it was hard to narrow it down. So. <laughs> well, see, two other authors that come on have cheated. Uh, John Everson picked three, picked four. I was like, I kept changing my mind pretty much up until the moment that I, you know, clicked the link you sent me. I was like, well, because I, I had backups. Well, no, nah, what should I do? What should I do? And then I settled on these three, but I so i'll be back on whenever you're ready cool i want to know your backups <laughs> and as always you can find me over on twitter uh, on bloody good at bloody good reads on twitter um for the horror cast on the website it's snake by horror instagram is bloody good reads uh you can also uh, find me every fortnight on the snake by horror cast i'm not sure what films will be reviewing when i post this because we haven't actually picked it for the next couple of weeks but you can listen to us every fortnight. We've uh, got a new episode coming out. Be around the time we, we post the episode for this one. Um, and I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, as always. Uh, it's Abominable Book Club. Uh, they do amazing subscription boxes. You get a brand new book, secondhand book. And if you go for the higher tier, you also get a drink, a snack. Um, very British, very, very amazing. Go check them out. You get 10% off your first subscription box with uh, the code Bloody Good Reads. Uh, go check them out. It is abominablebookclub.cratejoy.com. You can find the link below um, with, with the code and everything as well. So do go check them out. They are a great sponsor and we absolutely love them here at uh, Snakebite. And as always, thank you for listening. I've been your host, Mark Goddard, and I will see you next time.